You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Y'all, we're cooking up something special for everybody today. We've uh, we've been really working hard in the uh, in the kitchen on this one, guys. Welcome back. We're gonna make something flavorful. Yeah, yeah, we're ready to make something flavorful for for y'all today. Welcome back to Systematic Geekology. I am one of your hosts, one of the priests to the geeks. I am Joe. I am joined by another one of our hosts, Josh. Hello. And today we have a special guest for everybody. The host of the illustrious podcast, The Haunted Horror Historian, Miss Stephanie Day. How are we doing? Hey, I am doing great. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, getting you two on for this one and and to talk about this is is something it, it there's there's a poetic justice to it all. And and part of doing SG is just getting the excuse to be able to talk about things like cooking shows, right? And it's an interesting thing for me being, for, for those of you that don't know, long before I was in broadcasting, long before I was a Christian, long many moons ago, uh, I became a chef and I spent a uh, over a decade in the industry. And Stephanie and I specifically are a part of the generation that that really food net things like food network and stuff like that really took off and became a thing. And the, the status quo, I guess for home cooking and all of that really was, was elevated. And so getting a chance to, to talk about these things and then talk about, uh, talk about them with somebody who came after us, um, is is uh is pretty cool so i'll be the first one to admit to you right confession with the saints time uh i hated cooking shows at first because i was a snob right industry industry professionals are are the are the type that you know you tend to have two different people right the people that can shut their brain off and watch as gimmicky a show as you possibly can get and be able to separate that as almost like a caricature of the industry or the people that are like completely and totally turn their nose up to the idea of celebrity chefs and all of that kind of stuff and can't conceive of the idea of having these kinds of game shows and all that kind of stuff. So, well, that's why you love Hell's Kitchen now, right? It's your favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's my that that's my favorite of all of the shows. So, fun facts: I actually auditioned for Hell's Kitchen once upon a time. Um, Did you? Yeah, yeah. Once upon a time, I, I auditioned for it and realized very quickly that is not my speed. That is not my temperament. I could not deal with that. Even though, like. 90% of what you see on Hell's Kitchen is all canned. It's all fabricated for the sake of the show. But especially at that point in my life, I could not separate, even if it was a rehearsed version of somebody screaming at me like that. Nope, not my not my speed. Um, so, so I'll start with you, Steph. What was your first uh, interaction with um, cooking shows? Like, where did you, where did, were you first introduced? Um, so when I was young, we didn't have cable or anything like that. So we only had like 
I don't know, five or six channels growing up, but one of them was PBS. And so when there was nothing else on, um, which really like four of the channels we had were news stations. So there typically wasn't very much on for a young child. Um, But PBS used to show like Julia Child reruns and shows like that quite a bit. Or um, there's another one I always really liked that was uh, Yan Can Cook, um, who was also a professional chef. But these were were more professional showing you how to do things versus the the gimmicky kind of food network shows that we're all used to these days that are more drama filled um, and, you know, just more focused on the basics. So that's kind of where I started from. And it wasn't until I was in college that my family actually got like a a big cable package. And then there was, you know, the food network channel, but there was also the cooking channel, which again, showed more, you know, this is how you cook versus reality cooking competitions. And so those were the kind of things that I really grew up on and appreciated. How about you, Josh? So I was definitely introduced to, you know, food shows generally. Uh, There's really two ways. First was kind of, uh, I think mostly with with my with my father watching Alden Brown, Good Eats, kind of that. uh, He took a very scientific approach that I loved as a kid, uh, and I had a very good time with it. All the wacky stuff he'd get onto, like, oh, let's just you know, liquid nitrogen, (laughs) and and that would be you know the way of the show. Uh, the way I got into more of the like cooking uh, competition style cooking shows uh, would have been an introduction from my older sister. Yeah, that uh, it, it's it's funny because some of my well, I should say one of my first memories of watching a cooking competition was that big. It was Emeril Lagasse, Mario Batali, Rachel Ray. And uh, the other guy, the 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 face of Food Network for years, um, Bobby, Flay. B- Bobby Flay. Bobby Flay. Um, I think it, that was it was the four of them, and we're talking like I have I have memories of watching this on that small little television that that used to be set up like back back in the day and and all of that like we're we're talking back when i was all of maybe 18 and you know you were all of maybe 16 and all of that <laughs> kind of stuff um yeah so we've for those of you that have that aren't that aren't keeping track we've known each other for a minute so um it's it's one of those things that that i'm, I'm glad you brought up the two different points right because where it started was let's break down recipes, right? Let's let's teach people how to how to cook. And I think anybody should know how to cook. I don't think it's this big mystical thing. I think anybody can cook as long anyone as anyone you- can cook. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. I was just thinking that. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that you know, the second that you gamify it, it opened this entire new world. That, like I said, at first I was like, yeah, this is not, I, I, I knew too much, right? Like for those of you that don't know, and I don't know who listening needs to hear this, but risotto was never made in 20 minutes. Nobody ever made a risotto (laughs) in 20 minutes, guys. 
I'm just saying. It's not physically possible. It's really not. You can end up with half-cooked rice in 20 minutes, but mm. you, or or a sticky mess, but you're not going to end up with with risotto in in 20 minutes. Just saying. And uh, no, being in the industry, I I know I knew that. And so anytime somebody was like, "I made this 87 course meal in 30 minutes, and I made this big complicated dish in 15 minutes, and I had five minutes left, and I made a gravy," like, no, no, you didn't. No, I'm I know for a fact you didn't. But. Uh, it's, yes, he's it's, still it's, really fun to watch cooking shows with. Just, just so everybody knows. Oh, extremely. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I could, I could turn it into a, a whole thing of just recording me and my commentary on people's decisions. Because on top of that, you also have the armchair quarterback side, uh, side of it. Like, oh no, I would have made this. I would have done this. This is what I would have done differently. Or no, that's a bad idea. Um, but it, it, it took me, it took me getting over myself and to, to actually be able to lean into the enjoyment of it all. But I, but I guess for me, I, I appreciate it more when actual chefs are showcased for their work rather than the same five celebrities and, and it being all about them. You know what I mean? So you, so what you're saying is, you don't just love seeing Bobby Flay every 20 seconds for every single uh, Food Network show you watch. Um, Bobby Flay is actually a bad word in in this house. Um, so if we could refrain from talking about that, <laughs> or you know, whatever, I'm cool. Yeah, uh, it's the one thing I will say though, as far as all of this goes, is. You know, I, I can appreciate all of the effort and emphasis that's put on home cooks and all of that kind of stuff. Still to this day, where I draw the line, there is no such thing as a home chef. I will I will fight for the integrity of the title and say that there's no such thing as a home chef. There are tons of home cooks. You can be an excellent home cook, but there's blood, sweat, and tears that go into the that that go into the title of chef that you just don't get from cooking in your own kitchen. But um, so so let's let's rattle off a, a couple of if you're if you're looking at what you look look to in a, a a cooking show, you know what are some of the suggestions for shows that you have for people? What do you enjoy about these? That sort of thing. Josh, I'll start with you. Okay. So there are two shows that are probably my two favorite cooking shows, and they're on opposite ends of kind of, I think, what the spectrum is. The cooking shows lie on the spectrum, and I my favorites are on one extreme and the other of the spectrum. The first goes back to what you had mentioned earlier, Joe, a good focus on actual cooks doing and actual like home cooks doing things just how they would. And for my show that i like on that end it is the great british bake-off that is oh so good i know it's it is more baking they do do some other cooking but it, it is largely baking and it is it's such a nice show as compared to all the other all the other cooking shows i watch because it's always they're always set everyone's sad when a contestant leaves and they're always they're always hugging each other and they're all friends and it's a much more laid-back style even though it is a competition style show it's laid back to the point where when one contestant will finish early they'll go help another contestant finish what they're doing which is just in in on in a competition system is insane it's 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 so 
it's just a very dip- different atmosphere from all the other competitive cooking shows. Now you take the opposite end of that and you get the most gimmicky, uh, just kind of fight and die cooking show you can find. And then you get cutthroat kitchen. Uh, of course, <laughs> like I said, I started with Alton Brown and I still and I still enjoy him, even if it's a little different now with cutthroat kitchen and just all the nonsense like oh congratulations you have to cook all of your dishes in these three spoons and that's all you get to win it's just the, the most nonsense like why would you ever what's the point of any of this and it's, it, it is just i think it's just fun to watch that's funny how about you steph um well josh stole my british bake-off uh so that was rude but i i will double down on what he was saying um, just the the purity of that kind of show and the idea that you can be a home cook and a home baker and just go and have fun and maybe you aren't the best. Um, and, you know, even if you mess up, there are people there that are going to help you. They're going to coach you. You know, they're even just giving you moral support um, instead of a cutthroat competition where, you know, people are going to talk down about their competition. Like this is a group of people that lifts each other up and supports each other and are genuinely sad to see people go home, even though they know it's a competition and yes, they'd like to win. Um, there's still that companionship in there. Um, you know, you saw it a lot in the beginning of the show. I think once they switch networks um, that did unfortunately go away a little bit. Uh, I, you know, there is some, controversy i got there um these days with this newest season uh that has just come out they there have been a couple different issues i don't know if you guys are following this at all uh there was some cultural aspects uh that weren't really respected a couple weeks back uh that paul hollywood especially has gotten a lot of flack for um and also paul hollywood doesn't know what a s'more is and i'm judging him (laughs) Uh, apparently he thinks that s'mores like the marshmallow shouldn't be melted in a s'more and i uh, what who no, does it should, that it should be blackened it should it should oh, have it, should... it it should have been caught on fire until it's done yes blackened but but wasn't it supposed to still be cold in the middle i don't know i don't remember i didn't actually watch it um i haven't watched the last couple of seasons no, i was giving because... i was giving my opinion that's how i think s'mores are supposed to be you gotta, oh, okay. gotta set them on fire for a bit and then wait <laughs> Gotcha. Um, but anyway, now that Mel and Sue are gone. Oh, uh, that down. was really that was the hardest thing about that whole show. I mean, yes. Mel and Sue drove that show. Prue and Paul were good and or Mary mm-hmm. Barry and Paul back in the day. Mary Barry. Um, yeah, she was cool. And Paul's the only one left. Yeah. And he's not the highlight. No offense, Paul Hollywood. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's just something like just to go back to the wholesomeness of it. Did you guys know that? When a contestant got upset, Mel and Sue used to go around and they would say, um, like, copyrighted materials and stuff uh, so that it rendered any footage that the camera people might be taking and make it unusable so that even if it was filmed, they couldn't use it. They couldn't broadcast the footage of contestants being upset because it broke copyright law. And I think that is the chaotic good we need in this world. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Um, but 
beyond British Bake Off, and to get back to the question you actually asked, uh, I do have two other shows that I feel like have always been in my top that uh, you're going to notice a theme here a little bit. We'll see if you guys can pick up on it. But one I want to talk about real quick was on Netflix for a couple of years. It's based out of Australia, and it's called Zumbo's Just Desserts. Uh, I know, I believe we've watched it, but... And it's kind of in a similar vein with it being a more dessert-focused, baking-focused show uh, versus technical cooking abilities. Although, again, it does have some cooking in it. But they just made these outrageously beautiful, eccentric desserts. Um, And they had wild theme-based challenges and different things. Uh, And it was just a lot of fun to watch. It was something different than I think you see on most um, baking shows these days. Um, But I've got one more that I really enjoy, and it's one we've actually been watching through recently, and that's Wall of Chefs. Wall of Chefs is a Canadian-based show where there are 12 professional chefs, 12 judges, and there are four home cooks that start out, and they do three rounds. Uh, But again, it's a little more wholesome I found than American cooking competitions. Um, These professional chefs, while they do judge uh, these home cooks, they're polite about their critiques and the critiques are based off of helping these home cooks grow versus just telling them all of the things they did badly and looking down on them because they're not professionally trained. Um, And even as far as just how how the critiques are worded is just so different than you see in most American cooking shows that again, it's just that community and that holding each other up versus just tearing you down and making you feel dumb because you didn't, you know, go to culinary school or you haven't worked in a professional kitchen for long enough to be considered a chef. It's, Hey, here's my experience. Let me show you what I know. Um, And one of the things I've noticed that I also really like is there are times where a contestant does something that maybe these professionals have never seen before and they don't immediately discount it because it's not what they're familiar with. You know, they give it a shot, they taste it first before they say, oh no, this can never work. They watch them doing it and they go, oh, that's interesting. I I don't know if that'll work, but if it does, that's going to be cool. Exactly. Like there was one we just watched where a guy made... I think it was risotto out of popcorn. And all of the chefs were like, that's weird. I've never heard of that before. Like, that'll be interesting. But then when they tasted it, they were all like, wow, this is great. Like, I can't believe I've never thought of this. And, you know, talking about trying it out for themselves. Like, yeah. so like, what, what you've been describing, it it brings to mind, uh, actually, a recommendation I gave, I think, the two episodes back from what I've been on, um, which was, I, I made a I made a joke and then we we used it to and then Josh Noll chimed in and pr- used it to promote this episode as he does, um, but I said and my recommendation was something that is very much in the vein of a cooking show. It t- follows the model of a cooking show, but it's not food. It's forged in fire. Which if you've yes. if you've ever if you've never heard of it, take take your standard competition cooking show and instead of food, just insert making swords blacksmithing swords that is the show and it's fantastic i love to talk about that 
but but what's what Steph was just talking about the how the judges react to the contestants making things when they make mistakes how they critique them there is there is no vitriol in Forge and Fire all of the judges are there to to find who had who has the best sword and to teach the ones who didn't what they did wrong so they can make better stuff next time and every contestant there is very much like yep they they hear what they did wrong and they're like yeah i saw that that's fair and then they shake the judge's hand and they leave and they're and it's 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 the most amicable uh with the exception of maybe bake off because everyone's crying and hugging like it's just that yeah yeah that's right jim i did that bad all right, all right. thank you thank you very much for having me and then they let they walk out it's 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 such a different vibe than like cutthroat kitchen I will say I do love Cutthroat Kitchen, though. I do. <laughs> it took me a while to get around to Cutthroat Kitchen because I had to accept the the gimmickiness of it. I had to accept the fact that I was watching a game show first yeah. rather than oh, yeah. a, kitchen, a cooking show first. Um, so so for me, there's three different aspects of this. Like I said, I I love I love the dissemination of information. I didn't I didn't go to culinary school. I I worked my way up. In the kitchen, I broke in and I fought and scratched and clawed for every single thing. And I, I moved and I did all of that. And, and I had to earn the title. Um, and, and I don't think that you need to go to culinary school. I think culinary school can teach you a lot of things, but I don't think culinary school teaches you how to be a chef. So I can appreciate the fact that like cooking technique and all of those kinds of things, that's all stuff that's reachable now, you know? So, so the just out and out cooking shows, I can appreciate that. You know what I mean? There's, I'm going to be in the, in this, in this bit that I'm about to go into, I'm going to be referencing the show, the bear a lot, because this is probably the best love letter that I've seen to the restaurant business to be made. There's a scene where he's, where he gets done with this really long, uh, this really long shift and he's, he's on the couch and all he's doing is, is, is watching, uh, or, uh, eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, drinking a Coke and watching Julia Childs. I, I could vibe with that because the last thing that you want to do when you get home is make yourself a full on, uh, a full on meal and all of that kind of stuff. And so, so there is something soothing about just watching somebody who's really good at their craft, just doing their craft well. So there's a soft spot in my heart when you say watching old Julia Child reruns. I remember watching that as a kid, not really digging it, but now as an adult, like, yeah, I could sit there and watch Julia Childs do, do what she does. Um, the, the, enter, I call it entertainment cooking. You know, the 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 cutthroat kitchens of it all, the iron chefs of it all, all of those kinds of things. I can appreciate it for what it is. You know, it's a, it's as much as as of a game show as anything else. And at least it's centered around the culinary industry. Um, I obviously appreciate it more if you show somebody who isn't the same five American chefs that get celebritized and all of that kind of stuff. I don't really, uh, you know, I used to be a fan of some of them, you know, but, you know, not not all of them ended up being really good people. And so that kind of dissuaded me from being into into celebrity chefs and, and all of that kind of stuff. Then there's this third option. This third option is when and I'm, I'm taken to an episode of one of these gimmicky shows chef and master or something like that. And the whole idea was that you, 
you learn, you uh, compete for an opportunity to stodge with, um, with, with, with a culinary icon. And for those of you that don't know, stodging is kind of like an internship so to speak, um, within a, within a restaurant. Sometimes it's paid, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's longer. It's, it's kind of like, like I said, like an internship. And there was this guy on there that just, that was just so honest about the fact that cooking saved him from a life on the streets and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it was this example of when you can see passion in somebody's eyes for their craft and what they do that that to me is something special because i get i get that passion and i don't know when the next time i'm gonna have this opportunity is so i'm gonna go ahead i found the uh transcript of a very particular scene from the bear that showcases what it is that i'm about to say so um for those of you listening, for those of you listening, if you're listening with with small ears, the quote that I'm about to give it does it does have cursing in it. So here we go. Um, this is a scene where where dudes in a in a the main character is in in uh, an NA meeting, and because his his brother was a drug addict, and he's sitting there doing this monologue, and it's part of a seven uh, a seven minute monologue about his life in the restaurant business, and there's one part in particular. As we got older, I realized I didn't know anything about him, really. He stopped letting me into the restaurant in, a couple of years ago, and he just cut me off cold. And that that hurt, you know. And I think that just that flipped a switch in me where I was like, okay, F you, watch this. And because we had this connection through food, he made me feel so rejected and lame and shitty and uncool. I made this plan where I was going to go work in all the best restaurants in the world. You know, like I'm going to go work in real kitchens like F mom and dad's piece of shit. Right. And it sounds ridiculous, you know, me saying that now. But that's that's what I did. And I got the shit kicked out of me and I separated herbs and I shucked oysters and clams and uni. And I cut myself and I got garlic and onions and peppers in my fingernails and in my eyes and my skin was dry and oily at the same time. I had calluses on my fingers from the knives and my stomach was fucked and it was everything. There's this connection when you, when you cook, right? It's, it's, with any, it's with any passion, but as a, as a chef, it's part of why to get into my where where I, what I like about about cooking shows and all of that is I go back to guys like Anthony Bourdain, who would just so openly talk about the restaurant business. Now, mind you, I've got my opinions about uh, about him. Like I've got op opinions about a lot of the the celebrity chefs, but I I can appreciate somebody that is very candid and open and real about the realities of the restaurant business. But if you do that and then you see that spark in their eyes, like, yeah, this gig, this gig sucks. But you know what? I love being able to serve people good food. I love being able to give people, give people, give people a good meal. That to me is the apex of watching this. If you can watch that translate in somebody's face and, and to go back to the episode of the show that we were watching, you could see in this guy, in this guy's eyes, like cooking was his life. You know, that was his passion in life. And, and that to me is the power behind 
watching cooking shows. Yes, there are good times sometimes. Yes, there's gimmicky of it all and all of that kind of stuff. But for me, being able to see that translated speaks volumes to me because that for over a decade was life for me. So seeing that in somebody else is incredibly resonant. And and I had to get over that, you know, oh, you know, so so with your cutthroats and all of that kind of stuff, you need oh so, so what you're making fun you're making fun of the industry. You're making fun of people who who give their lives to this craft. Because if you don't know, if you've never worked in a res- in, in, in a restaurant, this is actually last Christmas was going through my it was going through my head. We're all sitting we're all sitting around all of that kind of stuff, and and schedules are normal now. It's not any big thing for me to for me to um, be able to be at family get-togethers and stuff like that. But but like Steph, you were around when I was first breaking into the industry. There was no such thing as weekends, holidays. You don't you weren't sick. You weren't that, there was none of that. You show but up, you, made you great get pancakes. <laughs> so, you know, that to me is where my passion for this comes comes in. Yeah, I I just I you know the only thing about my pancakes is they tend to be the size of manhole covers. Uh, That's my kind of pancake. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, but they were the cheapest pancakes I've ever gotten out at a restaurant. Yeah, as long as uh, not the, the texture of manhole covers or the the hardness, you know. True. Softest manhole covers ever. Right. Bigger than the plate. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, and, and that's where I, that's where I geek out on, on these kinds of things because there's so much, there's so much passion that goes into it. And it's so high pressure that, that you, you have to have this love for it this this desire for it and if you can connect on that level that's why i'm so hot and cold with 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 cooking shows if i'm not into it then i'm really not into it but if i'm into it it translates it speaks to my soul because i've been there i've done that i know what those experiences are like you know and it's one of those things that that if if you can i i think personally one of the low key passion points for a lot of people that dig these types of shows is it allows you to f- to live vicariously in a high pe- in a high pressure high passion situation you know what i mean and and people are that people resonate with that with that level of passion into something and that translates you know true but i just watch it out of jealousy for all of the delicious food i'm just saying <laughs> Like, even if I can't eat it myself, at least I get to watch it and know that it tastes good. I will say that was a huge draw when I was younger and was like, like, ah, oh, yes, cooking shows. I like food. That Now I'm even more hungry. Well, that's why you watch cooking shows while you eat. It is a nice little compromise. Yes, that is, in fact, something I have done. I don't know, probably since we got Food Network when I was, you know, in my early 20s. And since I really discovered cooking shows, especially the competition style shows. So, yeah, I uh, so, so if you guys had to give a top five recommendation for somebody who's brand new to the to the cooking show world, what would you guys suggest? I mean, obviously, the ones that, that I've recommended are, are on my list. Fravorish Bake Off, 
and Cutthroat Kitchen. Uh, the one Steph mentioned, though, Zumbos. I had forgotten about that, but that is also one of my favorites. Uh, Good Eats, like I said, it's a that that's one of the more here's you know here's what how you can do it more than instead of a competition. Um, and I'll cheat and say Forge and Fire for number five because that's a cooking show just for sorts. <laughs> Um, I'll also throw in Wall of Chefs um, and to get back to American shows uh, if you're interested in the food and instead of a competition style I think one show that has been going on for forever but that kind of has always gotten slept on is Guy Fieri's Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives Um, now that is a show that like, yes, it's got the Food Network face on it, but all it is is a host coming in to actual uh, typical small town restaurants, mostly. Um, you know, he kind of stays out of the big cities and just walks into a kitchen and says, show me how you do this. Show me what your people like. And then he gets to try everything. And then I get jealous that I can't travel all 50 states and around the world like he can. Um but I also think it's a great way of showing off smaller towns and smaller chefs. And it shows that you don't have to be a big name in a large city. You don't have to be in LA. You don't have to be in New York um, to be a professional and to be cooking good food that people will travel for. Yeah. You, uh, you took my, my, my sleeper recommendation of, of triple D because it does showcase people that are making an honest effort out of it. Like the, it, it showcases the everyman of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that there's, that there's power in being able to use this, this juggernaut of a platform like food network to be able to highlight those types of voices, you know what I mean? And not just the same five. Um, You know, I would, I would emphasize that, by and large, better cooking shows come out of Europe and Canada than America because America Absolutely. it tends to be more about the drama and and all of that than the actual showcasing of of the food. Um, yeah, I was going to mention that earlier because you'll notice our recommendations, with the exception of the one that's really gimmicky and competitive, hyper competitive, and that's that's the draw of it being cutthroat. Right. Um, we had. Great British baking show, obviously, from Great Britain. Uh, we had Zimbo's Just Desserts from Australia and Wall of Chefs from Canada. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh, none of those are from America. Shocking. Right. And the one I'll, I'll uh, throw in there for good measure is um, the original Iron Chef, not America's Iron Chef or Iron Chef America. But uh, Japan's Iron Chef. It started. Uh, it started in in Japan first, and that's where we were first. Where you where you first saw names like Morimoto, um, lighting the world on fire, and and all of that kind of stuff, and like just the high level of actual competition and taking it seriously as competition, and not just having it be a showcase for Bobby Flay. That that was that to me is is really a very pure representation of the sport of cooking if you're going to make it into a sport so rounding off today's uh episode as always we like to give some recommendations of what you've been geeking out on so josh i'll let you go first 
All right. So lately, my my big thing I've been geeking out on this whole week has been uh, once again Magic the Gathering. You'll be it's it's shocking. I know one of my main hobbies and one of my one of my things that I've done a few episodes on. But specifically with the release of the Brothers War set, it's the new set that came out. It's all about this really old war that shaped the entire multiverse and that they need to go back to to find information. So they do time travel nonsense. And I love me some time travel nonsense. And so the storyline of the set is is interesting. And then it's also, uh, you know, for better or for worse, Magic the Gathering has been uh, suffering from power creep for a very long time. Everything's slowly getting stronger and stronger. So, of course, this new set is just absolutely insane and everything in it looks broken. So uh, I pre I pre-ordered a box as my kind of birthday present to myself uh, <laughs> slash using using my birthday money. And it got here today, today, even though the set releases like next week. And I am very excited about that. Nice. All right, Steph, you're up. Um, so as you guys already know, November is sci-fi month in the day household. So we have been watching through Doctor Who. Um, we started back with, with nine with Christopher Eccleston. Um, and that, you know, I have seen all of new who more than I'm probably willing to admit on Mike. Um, but Every time I rewatch Nine, there's just something about about his humanity. Um, you know, we just watched The Empty Child last night, which I know is not Josh's favorite episode of Doctor Who ever, and I understand. But there is a moment at the end of the second episode of The Empty Child that that almost makes me cry every single time. Huge spoilers um, if you haven't seen it. Yes, sorry, I am going to spoil a show uh, if that is okay. You know, listener, beware. Up to you whether or not skip you skip uh, thirty seconds you keep ahead. Here. Yeah, <laughs> skip thirty seconds if you want. Uh, but with as few spoilers as possible, the line is just this once: everybody lives. And you know, the doctor understands that w- with this this idea of time travel. Um, you know, going back and seeing historical events, seeing historical events that take place in the future, he's an observer. He often tries not to affect the outcome of things. And that's heartbreaking for him. And that just this one time, just this one child, just this one place, he's going to make the difference. And it's so genuine um, that it, it just makes me very emotional. Um just this idea that just this once I can be the reason and just this once I can help. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this one, this run through for some reason is hitting different in a good way. Watching Mm -hmm. it now for me, it's only the second time watching, watching through um, new who and well, I should say who in general, because I've, I've seen random stuff from, from old who, but, um, but yeah, for me, um, I'm gonna I'm we we came up this the, this episode and I'm gonna keep rallying for this to the point uh, to the point where we finally do an episode on this. Go out and watch the bear, and then what I want yes. you to do is I want you to find wherever you listen to this and leave a comment that says we want an episode on the bear, and then that <laughs> way 
I could take it to everybody else and be like, see, we need to do an episode on the bear. Um, but seriously, especially if you've been in any version of the restaurant business, go watch it. And honestly, I really do think that it's a good snapshot for anybody who just wants to see a very realistic version of the restaurant business and all of that kind of stuff, which gives, which, which for me also goes into recommending all of the, the nice side, the, the, the wholesome side of these cooking shows and all of that, because the restaurant business itself is not one of the things that is showcased in this show is a very real depiction of what life as a chef in the upper echelon is like with your executive chef standing over you and all of that to the point where why I'm watching this, I got triggered. Like I, it, it triggered me hard because I was on both sides of that. I was the guy who got crapped on by the executive. And then because that was in my mind of this is how you give somebody their, their, their reps. This is how you train somebody and all of that. I was a prick in the in the kitchen to other people, and I did that to other people. And so now, at this stage of my life, being able to see that done at a point where it's 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 a wholesome thing, we're all in this together, we're all part of it. That does my heart well to see that. I don't need to see another example of how grimy it can be in the restaurant business. So I suggest watch the bear and then go watch a wholesome uh, uh, cooking show after that. So the British Bake if, Off. like the British Bake Off. Absolutely. So well, sure. uh, if you have gone through this entire buffet and you are left still hungry for more content, you can head on over to systematicecology.org, get caught up on everything that we've been up to, slide on over to the host tab and be able to see more from our illustrious panel of hosts and then head on over to anywhere that you can find podcasts and type into your type into your podcast machine, The Haunted Horror Historian, and you'll be able to find uh, Miss Stephanie's weekly podcast telling frightful tales and wonderful goodness that's been going on for a couple of years. Um, weird to think about. And uh, if, if all of that has still left you wanting more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash systematic ecology, toss a couple of bucks in the kitty, help us keep the lights on and check out the incredible amount of um, extras that we've got over there for you all. But until next time, friends, I want you guys to remember one very important thing. We are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.